All right, folks, it's your favorite host of the Bad Christian Podcast. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm starting this thing off right. I'm not going to be like Matt. I'm not going to sit here and call you a jackwagon, deal hole, moron, flop. I'm not going to sit here and call you a swampy, douchebag, dodo head, sloppy nuts, hibiscus, lady gahas. I'm not going to do that, guys. I care about you. Why would I sit here and call you a schmooshy, dumbass, blowhard, numbnuts, window face ass clown. I'm not doing it, Matt Carter. I'm not going to call you a Fred Flintstone ass clown with a window face blowhard, dumbass. I wouldn't because I love you and I care about you and you are something. You are none of those. Today's going to be a good day. You're listening to the Bad Christian Podcast and I'm telling you, get ready for some fun. Now, two quick announcements. One, Devin and I are going on tour. We're doing our Songs and Stories tour again. It's going to be all over. Too many places to say. So go to emorymusic.com. Check it out. It's going to be a lot of fun. It's in a night of a, us with our acoustic guitars singing songs. Oh, man, you know our voice is good. I don't, have to, I don't have to brag on ourselves. You know. My God, you know. Me and Devin together with some acoustic guitars. There'll probably be some tears. There'll probably be some tears. Anyway, go to emorymusic.com. Check that out. Also, we have taken over and own and have marriagesupply.com, which we are so excited about. I couldn't be happier. We are getting a podcast going back up very soon. And Marriage Supply is the place for you and your partner to go get all the toys that you want to spend time in the bedroom or whatever room you're going to. And uh, without all that porn, it's just go there, feel safe. Uh, get the products that you want. You love all of that stuff without any of the pornography, and uh, it's just a it's a great site. We really feel confident and excited about restarting this, and I uh, couldn't be happier. Also, I made a little uh, yeah me forty two year old Toby made a coupon code. All you gotta do is type in October, and you get ten percent off in October. You know, because it's Halloween, you want like freaky Halloween or, you know, freaky Oktoberfest. I don't know what you do. Do whatever you got to do. But go to marriagesupply.com, type in that code October, you get 10% off. Okay. Now, lastly, today's show is sponsored by KiwiCo. KiwiCo is a convenient and affordable way to encourage your children to be anything they want to be. Go to shopkiwico.com slash badchristian and get 20% off anything in the store. And today's show is also sponsored by Stamps.com. Go to Stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and enter our code BADCHRISTIAN to get a four-week trial plus free postage and a digital scale. That's Stamps.com with the code BADCHRISTIAN. Oh, hell yeah, God showed up. I don't give a shit what I put in my body. You don't ever talk to me that way. <laughs> so if you've never done oral, then you're extra virgin. No, girl, it's my flesh. I, I showed my dad my penis when I was 25 years old. You don't get more honest than that. Boombastic. That's what this podcast is. It's boombastic. It's the Bad Christian Podcast. I'm talking loud. Matt, you talking loud today? Yeah! Woo! Woo! All right. Up. Why are we pumped up? I don't, just because well, we're aggro? I just because tr- we're men? Well, that's what I was getting ready to say. I tricked uh, Facebook, and we've been talking lately. You are, what percentage uh, female do you think you are? Like, like we talked the other day, Was I don't remember if it was on the Daily Dose or it was on what, but if you just kind of hide your genitalia, you mm-hmm. you have a beautiful body. <laughs> yeah, I do. <laughs> I mean, it's it's pretty amazing. Like I I just I mean it's it's it got curves in all the right spots is how I would define you. 
Yeah. Well, my right. mom always told me that I looked good in clothes and dressed up and stuff like that, but yeah. I never felt that way, you know, because I I'd wear cute clothes or whatever, and she tried to dress me up, and it made me the most most uncomfortable that I've just ever been in my life. Is like going shopping or picking oh, out a shirt, or tr- like I'm my uncomfortable in that. clothes, like you wouldn't believe. And I don't look good in clothes at all. If I try to wear something, <laughs> it looks. I tell you, it looks stupid as you can't imagine. If I try to wear, no, yeah, no, like, uh, we, not, clothes even to I get look it. Cool. You know how to, No, you do. Okay, You're okay, right. You, so look, you, know. you look fucking okay. stupid as shit. <laughs> <laughs> and I feel so uncomfortable that that projects. So, for instance, Josh Head and Emery says, oh. claims that he could pull off anything that he puts on. And it's all the attitude. It's, you yeah, probably so, do look fine, but you don't think you do. And you're well, there's no chance so of, of overcoming it's no chance of overcoming that, but one idea could be that uh, maybe she she's right. But I mean, I feel like not. You know, I have narrow shoulders. And I just I'm uncomfortable. I'm tall and lanky right. and all that stuff. However, if I were to dress like a female, I bet I would nail it. If a tall, skinny model with a thigh gap, six oh, yeah. foot three. <laughs> You know, thin I know. waist. I mean, it would be way. That's probably right. what she meant the whole time. Is yeah. I would look good in clothes as a woman, because that is true. Yeah, I really do think that. Yes, and so that, that's what I wanted to get into today. Because of that, <laughs> for real, I, I hacked. Uh, I, I, without knowing it, I hacked Facebook. Okay. A, a, a advertising algorithm. I okay. Did, I did. I promise you, this is a. I guess. Tell an ex- me more. Okay, so I did a little bit of an experiment. Uh, a long time ago. I don't know how long ago, but under gender or whatever, I, how I identified, I just put woman, right? Mm-hmm. I just oh, thought, yeah, that's right. It says that on your Facebook yeah. profile. People and I just, make fun of it like it was a mistake. Or I, I just thought it because you shared your profile with your wife when you first started Facebook and never changed it or well, something like that. Well, whenever, well, it was both of us, but I think even back then it was man, but I, whenever we split, I still was like, okay, it's been for, like that forever. Whenever it, you and Jess split? Yeah, when yeah. was that? Oh, God, I wish we... <laughs> don't, don't, don't get me on my <laughs> fantasies, man. <laughs> Good Lord. When you split your Facebook account. Uh, yeah, yeah, just split the Facebook <laughs> account. My God. You know, wait, you know. Anyway, um, so I it it's woman on there, right? And mm-hmm. so I left it and it's it's been like that. I've left it now for I don't know, it's been years, I guess. Mm-hmm. I mean, it might have been a decade or more. I don't know how long it's Facebook been. Facebook like has that. thought you were a woman yes, by the way you've right? clicked the gender box for yes. years. Okay, and and so I kind of did it just as a social thing too, just like because you know once somebody said something, I was like, I'm definitely leaving it now because I just want to see what people say. Oh, you're a woman? Did you know you're a woman? Oh, you know, like the the poli- Facebook police, social media police got to let you know that you might have made a big mistake or something, which doesn't matter at all. But people, will, you know, over the years, people have written me so many times, like, "Do you know you're a woman?" You hey, kick look, out of it. I look at it. this lady here, nice comment, lady, or something like that. And I just think it's just so interesting how people would joke like that. And the way they would just write me and the way they would treat me, not, not even like being really mean or anything, just the just comments, just off-the-cuff comments because they either know me or whatever. But I've been noticing over the last probably three, maybe two and a half years, two, you know, two to three years, I was like, man, why am I getting these weird ads sometimes? I just don't understand it. And so lately it's been ramped up probably in the last six months where I'm constantly getting like, there's this one, I think it's called Bliss, but it's this like women's shaving razor, but it's just a woman like in a bikini or panties with unbelievable uh, pubic hair coming out (laughs) from her uh, underwear or bikini, and it's like a razor right there. It's talking about how good the razor is. I was like, this is crazy. Why am I getting this? Like, is it, if I done it, well, I don't know. And then, uh, 
yesterday, or the, uh, I guess last week, I started getting Kegel exercises, or, or Kegel, I don't know, Kegel exercises. Yep. And I was like, this is so crazy. What is happening here? And I realized, oh, it's because Facebook thinks I'm a woman. So they right. are specifically going after me. Or, you know, the, probably these are the big advertisers. Maybe they're spending a lot of money or whatever. But somehow, a 43-year-old white woman... <laughs> Living in yeah. Charlotte, North Carolina, needs that razor and the, definitely needs some Kegel exercises because they probably see the kids I have. Yeah, yeah, you know, you probably, all that stuff. You so they can't stop from peeing in your pants, right. and you need to do the Kegels. Right? You know what I mean? I, I, After you know, the three kids, I mean, heck. So I'm, I'm assuming they don't. You know, they just they're not looking at the picture at all. They're literally looking at the actual data. That I've written or said. Looking going on. Well, I know, but I'm saying even like people, humans or whatever. It's not. It it really is just an algorithm. Yeah, that weighs. Nobody's looking at anything. Yeah, it weighs the information that I gave it though. So in the in Mm -hmm. in Facebook, I am a 43 year old white woman with three kids who talks some, uh, you know, or cares about a few certain things. And well, see that you, I think you're sleeping on the fact of what's really interesting about your experiment is they ha- know way more about you than just a woman in Charlotte, North Carolina. The stuff you click on, the articles you stay on longer, the yeah. things you visited in your browser that have cookies that connect to Facebook, they think of you as this very, very small demographic of, of woman who is... I mean, they 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 think of you as something along the lines of a trans person that, or is somehow super so? macho and into men's health and stuff like that. Though, also, it's a they think you're a woman who's very into men's fitness and health. Does yeah, that make sense? Might, yeah, you might be right because that's what you're into and that's what you click on and look at. So that that likes aggressive music, like you know, your interests are all very manly. So they think right. of you as a someone that is. Uh, you know, th- they've got it in some more narrow well, category. Well, look than at just this. The, the ad I kept getting, like, I've gotten this now for like six months or more. And I even, <laughs> I, I was like, I don't know what this is. So I even said, this isn't, uh, I don't want to see this. And they still come, it came back. Mm-hmm. I, I said, I don't want to see it, but I, I know y'all can't see. I'll show y'all listeners, uh, but uh, I'll show Matt and, and Reva here. I don't know if y'all can see it. Can y'all see that? Yeah, I can. Yeah, it's just like it's like a woman in a bikini or underwear and just unbelievable pubic hair out, which is fine. I, actually, is even kind of awesome. But uh, it's Billy. It says, we're Billy, a hair positive brand making award-winning <laughs> razors. For Stratus. And they I was know like, you're a, a big, giant, hairy, hairy woman, person. They know, it's, they're right. They I am hairy. And then the next one is in, <laughs> in Control Medical LLC. Join the 60,000 plus women who have enjoyed the benefits of intensity with Kegel exercise with a kick. And I was like, well, I mean, that's what I'm saying. It's that aggressive with a kick. You know, I like know. You, like, they, I, they I got, got you with some high adrenaline, giant, hairy woman category. <laughs> I, I mean, my hair's strong. My vagina isn't yeah. yet, but it's going to, I You're want it to be. So I'm, I'm going to do the your, fucking work to oh, get yeah. it there where it needs to be. And so, that, I mean, that is what I am to Facebook. That, yeah, I mean, right. that, that it's, it's wild. And I kind of like that. Like, I, it almost gives me a little bit of anonymity. And I kind of like that person. <laughs> tough, tough woman. I, I know what it's like that. That need a strong razor, and I, I can do. Men can do kegels too. Yeah, yeah, I know. Kiwi Co. Kiwi Co. No, that's not a song. I'm just making up. It's a new sponsor of ours that I just think is so awesome. Kiwi Co. Seriously, it is so hard to find hands-on projects for your kids, and. That is all over now with KiwiCo's online store. You can choose the perfect crate with projects that engineer, that are engineer designed and kid tested. That means they're fun, they're smart, they're great. 
Kiwi is pretty dope. My kids love it. They'll come. The, they'll come with everything you need for a creative project with your little creator. Seriously, our kids are our future, and it's our job to prepare them for that. We talk about children all the time, and a bored kid ain't a ain't a happy kid to be around. They're not happy. You're not happy. You want to let your kids be creative. At the same time, learning real skills and real value, and that's what Kiwi Co. does. I love it for my kids. It's been so fun getting to see them work on their crates and their projects that they get. It's just so rad. Kiwi Co. Uh, creates super cool hands-on projects for kids to make learning about S-T-E-A-M, STEAM, fun. And STEAM, as you know, is science, technology, engineering, art, and math. It's designed by experts and tested by kids, so no need to research or worry about gathering all the supplies KiwiCo's online store lets you choose from a variety of projects and crates, electronics uh, projects like building your own speakers, which I think is so fun, and I'm very excited for my kids to do that one. Uh, I think <laughs> I want them to do music and learn about sound, but maybe uh, what, I'll get some good earplugs, right? Uh, and they also have super fun chemistry experiences with fluorescent lights, fire, and crystals, plus more. I mean, your kids are going to love it. You are to purchase individual boxes if you want, no subscription. And seriously, what comes with each box? All the supplies needed for the project. Project, detailed, easy-to-follow instructions, and educational magazine to learn everything more about the craft theme, uh, the, cra- the crates theme. So here's what I want you guys to do. First of all, you can do all this together. You can have such a good time with your kid. But if you want to just have so much fun with KiwiCo, just do this. KiwiCo is a convenient, affordable way to encourage your children to be anything they want to be. So shop at the KiwiCo store to find out the right box for you right now. And our listeners, go to shopkiwico.com forward slash badchristian and you'll get 20% off anything in the store. No exclusions. Every day counts when it comes to making a difference. So don't miss out. Seriously, go to go to shopkiwico. That's shop K I. W-I-C-O dot com forward slash bad Christian to get that 20% off anything in the store. No exclusions. That's shopkiwico.com bad Christian forward slash bad Christian even. I think that's all pretty interesting in the sense that one of the things I think is the dumbest way that people look at masculinity and femininity is uh, is trying to attach it to the gender is a really goofy thing. And so I, I wind up hearing people all the time saying stuff like, I just don't think we should use masculine and feminine to describe things anymore. And I I just think that's really goofy. It's totally fine. But the point is, I have a lot of feminine qualities that I really like. Of course. I mean, I'm a man. Totally. But feminine is good. It's a good description of certain things. Right. In in fact, it's a good description of my body. I like that. It makes me me. I'm I'm interesting. I'm tall. I'm a man. I've got this aggressive personality. I have a feminine type body. Feminine is the right word for it. It's yeah. a good description. Of it's course. not bad. It's good. So it, it, I don't. I mean, there's tons. I mean, inwardness is a feminine thing. Outwardness is a male thing. I mean, not right. male. It's not male and female. It's, it's that's the point. It's it gets over attached to gender, but they're just descriptive words of qualities. And if you try to eliminate the words and the terminology, then okay, it just becomes harder to communicate. Right. Of course, we shouldn't stereotype by that and say that the masculinity and femininity have to be locked to a gender. That's the goofy part. It did no need at all. I mean, there's lots of women that are very masculine that's awesome or have certain, not that they are very masculine, they are masculine, they have masculine hands or a masculine uh, way of being aggressive in a way. I mean, whatever it is. I mean, it's totally. Things that were, you know, yeah, in the history have been considered masculine or feminine. It, a lot well, they, of that they, is they outdated. They can be masculine. But 
Yeah. Yeah, but so, yeah, but we over categorize things and but, just attach it to gender, and then you got to undo that stuff because that doesn't make sense. Right. I mean, it's not useful, and then you might as well just not have the terms either. Either way, if you over ascribe them and lock them to a gender, the terms become relatively useless or or way reduced in a way that they're not useful. Or if you say we can't use those terms because we're scared of them and the stereotypes, well, that's ridiculous too. They're right. fine terms that describe things that can be embraced however you want gender-wise. No big deal. In fact, there's advertisers and marketers that are looking for all the specs. I mean, it's, you know, accepting things is pretty much where we're, where we're trying to be. And then we can refine our level of nuance as right. we mature as a society. I is think, all. But I we think, keep the words. I think like for myself, a dummy like me, uh, it, it is so confusing because the way right now, gender is a huge issue, a huge topic. Which I even understand that. It, it it's just, probably a good thing. Yes, yeah, so that's, what, that's what I'm getting at. I think it's a good thing. I think these are conversations that need to be had. What I hate is when everybody, the rush to, like you said, attribute things specifically to one gender or that this is what a woman is. Or these or are be the, afraid or these are, of, of For example, these are, the, the like, these are the clothes that uh, a boy wears or a girl wears or something like that. I, I think I might have mentioned this on another podcast, but it was just really cool. Uh, Ruby... Uh, and thinks it's way cooler to go to the pool in Ike's like board shorts and you know uh, those the shirts that you can wear too mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. the sun shirt you know you, you know whatever that's called what is that called a rash guard shirt rash guard um, and she just likes wearing that better she she feels more something about wearing those clothes makes her happier now that means nothing about her gender or her sexuality <laughs> or anything what I what I really want to encourage is hey these clothes really work for you. Clothes. Yeah, right. There is not boy clothes, girl clothes. And that's what I told her. I was like, hey, listen, yeah, right. I said, I said, Ruby, these aren't boys or girls' clothes. I said, these are clothes. These are shorts and a shirt. How and it, functional are they for right. you? And right. if, if for some reason you're liking this and it's causing you more joy or more fun or anything, that's totally good. That's the way people should do. Like the, the things that you wear are, aren't, you don't wear clothes. Uh, you shouldn't. I, one thing I don't like, and this is the way our culture is. You wear clothes only to accentuate yourself or something, and there's a lot of the uh, the reasons why you need clothes. You know, the the functionality of the clothes goes away, and then you mm-hmm. you know, like how how often have you and I been made fun of our back in the day of our giant pants and extra large shirts and all that stuff, and then all of a sudden that comes back in, and then you don't know what to wear. Or we were, when we started wearing girls' jeans or whatever, we were wearing them for a certain reason as opposed to I wasn't wearing girl jeans to look more like a girl I was wearing girl jeans to be cool that's what, I just they thought just that's what it was cool the way I wanted them to fit yeah. yeah they fit the way I wanted and I thought it was cool and then the industry caught up and now jeans are made differently since the time Emory started jeans aren't the same it, it, there's been a lot of changes in the right. way people wear pants even and so I think that is a good thing I just I just don't like the you know the attribution immediately of this is what you know if, if a woman she you know a woman can wear uh, wears this and a, and a man wears this or something it, it just should just be more it shouldn't be about sex or gender necessarily the clothes we wear I don't know that how those are of course attached I, there. I, it doesn't even I mean who even cares about I, I don't know, but if people go too far both on both sides is the point. But yes. I just happen to be attached to words and their meanings and the ability to communicate without mega sensitivity or insensitivity. Like, is it not? I don't see, I guess in a general way, almost everything that's an issue. See if I can make sense out of this. I've always been very frustrated that when there are arguments, the arguments are always binary. They're there's two sides to arguments, but that's yeah. usually because two people in, engage in them. So it seems that there are two sides, but I, in almost every case, think that 
I agree with the person that thinks we're arguing, but we just have a slightly different threshold for where we think the line is on the thing that we're discussing. Like we, we both agree this is crazy on one extreme and this is crazy on the other extreme. And we have different thresholds that probably could be represented numerically, like as a percentage or some way, but it seems like it's, and, and that's why everything gets pushed to an extreme view, but almost every attribute or everything that matters or you care about isn't one way or the other. Like a, it's a, it's a balance thing, of course. People say it's a balance. It is. It, and, and if you go too far one way and too far the other way, then it becomes a problem. And you could say that with almost any quality or attribute or thing that you think is good. What you mean by good is it's good set at this threshold, but not to exceed this threshold. And you have a range yeah. of a quality like, let's say, toughness or honesty or uh, stuff like that. These aren't, I mean, maybe those aren't even good examples, but there's a lot of things like, that are, are that way. It's just how far do you go with, with it? Not, and you want to get in the middle right. and you want to have your own range and everybody's range overlaps in different ways, but it's not really either or. So the way we talk about masculinity and femininity is not nothing and it's not make it everything. It's healthy. It's figure out the right ways to use them and right. not overuse them and over reduce things. And that's kind of the way I see that. that well, that I will say issue, this. We, uh, I am jealous. Our guest today is Dustin Kentrew. And I will say this about clothes. You and him look phenomenal in yoga pants, and I can't pull it off worth a damn. So That's right. I mean, I, I would kill to have yours and Dustin Kentrew's ass. <laughs> clothes are crazy. All right, folks. How much time do you have in life, and do you want to spend it traveling back and forth to the post office? I learned a long time ago with Stamps.com. You don't have to do that anymore. You're busy. You ain't got time for that traffic, parking, lugging all your mail and all that stuff. Come on. That is why you need Stamps.com, one of the most popular time-saving tools for small businesses. Stamps.com eliminates trips to the post office and it saves you money with discounts that you can't even get at the post office. Seriously, Stamps.com brings all the amazing services of the U.S. post office right to your computer, whether you're a small office sending invoices, an online seller shipping out products, or even a warehouse sending thousands of packages a day. Stamps.com can handle it all with ease. I know for sure I've been doing shipping now for a while uh, gosh, a good while. And uh, stamps.com is just the way to go because it makes everything so much easier. For a 43-year-old guy that doesn't understand stuff, stamps.com is about as easy as it gets. Simple, so cool. Simply use your computer to print off official U.S. postage 24-7 for any letter, any package, any class of mail, anywhere. Stamps.com is just a no-brainer. It saves you time and money, and it's no wonder that 700,000 small businesses already use it. So right now, our listeners get a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus free postage and a digital scale without any long-term commitment. Just go to Stamps.com, click on the mic- microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in Bad Christian. That's Stamps.com, enter Bad Christian. Okay, well, Dustin, so it occurs to me that uh, that on this Skype chat that we're on right now with you, Toby, and I, that we've got the only three people that belong to a, a very certain club, uh, concentric circles you could say we're all post hardcore legends right yep <laughs> okay two One. Yep. Uh, we, we've all been uh high up uh staff worship leaders at mars hill two. Yep. Mm-hmm. two and all three of us are uh podcasters now into yeah. the <laughs> deconstruction christian adjacent uh growth oriented uh space so are there, there th- are there any other people on the planet that fit all three of those other than us three I don't 
think probably no. I, I, I don't that, have. I think sadly, I don't have. I don't have a draw, or we could all have that. Yeah. <laughs> Before you lucked out and grew up in the California without the yeah the the South, you didn't get that. We all so, are extremely good looking though, so we. Have that's that. true. Oh, there's more than that, but of those three, I think that those three alone isolate every everybody else who has ever lived from the three of us. <laughs> <laughs> that, that seems to be factually true. So I think we should speak. We should have a conversation as an outgrowth of that. Although I will, I will admit that I was just joking about being a post-hardcore legend. I would put you in that category, and I'm happy to be in that as well. Um, but the difference is, Toby and I grew up in the. We got a late start. I was thinking about that. I mean, you grew up in Orange County and must have been exposed to some great stuff and we're on your feet early playing music and we grew up in the rural south and are late to the ball game and happy to have participated and continue to do so. so. <laughs> right. <laughs> I don't know, man. There's there's good music all over. There's a bunch of bad music in Orange Well, I know, but I didn't find any good music because I was in my 20s is the problem. Uh, okay. <laughs> and everybody in California and Orange County was playing in good bands when they were 15, 16, all that kind of stuff. I know we didn't so, even know we could start bands. I mean, that we didn't know we were like allowed that, to. There was like there was like one high school band that did. You know, they they tried to do a Pearl Jam cover, and everybody's like, "Oh God, this is horrible!" And they just had to stop. <laughs> like yeah, they're cross between I mean, Hootie and the Blowfish and uh, Dave Matthews and yeah, and uh, what'd you just say? Like uh, yeah, yeah like the the Pearl Jam, the little Pearl bit Jam, of the, yeah. yeah, it was in between yeah. all those. That was it. just bad versions of yeah. it. Hootie and Dave together sounds like about the worst thing you can find. So it was mostly. Mostly Hootie, a little bit of Dave, and a little bit of Pearl Jam. That would have been the music okay. scene that we would have, if there was. And again, it was only one band, and that's what it would have sounded like. Right. It was then, like they would cover, so they covered Jeremy, Silence in the Room, but then they did Let Her Cry by Hootie, and everybody's just, oh, the, the, you know, it worked out really good. <laughs> it worked out amazingly well. But did, was that when you were growing up? Was it? Did, did you even recognize that at all? Did, were there other bands like in your high school or in the area? Seems it seems like once we finally figured out there was music outside of the radio, it felt like the whole West Coast was doing everything, and the and in the South it wasn't hardly anything. Yeah, that might be more true. I uh, I feel like there's been cool music that in the more indie stuff that's come out of the South, maybe in more in the last twenty years. Oh, then. for sure. I don't know if you guys see that too, but there's I, I feel like I don't know, like. Uh, Manchester and Color Revolt. I don't know if you ever. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, for sure. That's, that's so good. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's a bunch of bands. Uh, I I was listening to like punk rock stuff in junior high. And then I, there was, you know, local bands playing at our school, playing like random house shows around when I was a freshman. And seeing that was like, oh, we, we could we could try to do that. So, so that, that was the first way you got into what I'm going to for the sake of this discussion, say, uh, I, I mean, let's put it this way. You've kind of been a public figure like your whole adult life, right? I guess so. That's kind of weird. <laughs> you know, like, I mean, <laughs> yeah. by the time, I mean, you'd say maybe by, I don't know, what what was the identity crisis was 2001 or two or something like that. And you had something identity before that. Was 2000. Yeah. 2000, right. And so by that point, wow. I mean, was 20. you're that guy. I know you played before that, but at that point, I mean, that's 19 years, you know. And how old are you now? I'm 38. 38. I just turned 40. Toby's 43. Yeah. Um, so for, if you're 38, that means most of your life you've been a public figure, I guess. Yeah, that's weird. You hadn't thought about that before? I No, really. I mean, <laughs> I guess I'm... I, I don't know. I, it's probably just because I, I... 
there was not a point in my adult life when I wasn't, so I haven't mm-hmm. really thought about the difference. Well, so interestingly, though, you have been doing this kind of thing. And, you know, the other thing about it is you're still making music and all that. So that's the through line here. Uh, but your interest in all these other things, I've had extremely parallel interest and had a very similar path and all that stuff. So I'm kind of interested in a self-introspective way of trying to figure out what that is and what we've done right and wrong. And if people like us are here now from 19 to 40, I mean, you're just now starting your podcast. Uh, You know, you probably got another 20 or 40 years of doing this kind of stuff, it seems, right? (laughs) I have no idea, but uh, I don't know what else to do. I'm excited about the podcast, but just um, mostly, well... A lot of the reason I'm excited about it is because I love having deep conversations with people and I'm really bad at having surface conversations. Mm-hmm. So it's if it's set up to where I get to talk to interesting people about deep things and everyone understands that's what's happening, mm-hmm. uh, I'm excited about that. So Yeah, I think I think so too. So I'm gonna look at this conversation here. Hopefully we'll have a deep one. Uh as I'm gonna say it's halftime. It's halftime. I've made a bunch of mistakes, and we figured out a bunch of things and done some good and bad things. We're going to regroup here, and then we're going to go look for the second half, and we're going to try to see what we can learn and and what things we want to carry over in the second half of our lives uh, versus mistakes we've made uh, You know, going through there. So mainly the way I see it is in the last five years, you've had a tremendous amount of like personal change and transformation. And a ton of things remain the same, and a ton of stuff seem 90 or 180 degrees opposite of what they were. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm curious, does that ring true to you? Is that the way you feel in your experience from the outside and from me doing something? That's part of my narrative, I suppose. I'm not trying to project it. But does that ring true for you as well? It does uh, on a certain level. And then there's a, another way that I feel about it internally probably that might be less apparent looking from the outside, but a lot of where I've come to as far as my understanding of various theological things or whatever has, it it feels like essentially a lot of, a lot of my intuitions about these things were blocked from following through because I didn't see a way, you know, I saw Mm -hmm. like two, two paths and I had to choose one. And so, I mean, I, this is very, so had I had, when I was deconstructing in my twenties, uh, early twenties, I was kind of doing some similar stuff, but I didn't wait this I, your second round of deconstruction. Oh yeah. But, oh yeah. Well, <laughs> but the, the last time I kind of, I deconstructed, it was like, I don't know. And then I was like, okay, there's two paths. I can be a reductive materialist or I can be, the same kind of Christian essentially I was, and I'll just try to be a little more humble about what I think I can know. And I'm going to be like, ah. and because basically, I, so I thought if I become a reductive materialist, I don't get to hold on to goodness, truth, and beauty. Mm-hmm. And I can't do that. So I went back and was like, okay, well, I don't know this, that, and the other. And it, these things give me cognitive dissonance, but I'm going to try to be humble about it. And push forward. And so, when was this? When like, uh, what was early twenties? So, so, so like, you're uh, in thrice, and you were yeah, already a been, Christian. This has been like RSD ambulance kind mm-hmm. of era. Okay. Um. And yeah, so I went back, but had I known at that point that there was like 
third ways of seeing a lot of this stuff, I would have I would have jumped at it. Um, so tell me about the appeal of reductive materialists, though, at that time. So you would t- even to get well, I mean, when you I, say that I don't think there was much appeal. I just was like, I was n- didn't know what to think of uh, the Bible and whatever. I was like, because I'm not a young Earth creationist at the time. So I'm like, if I don't read, I, I didn't even no one even showed me. Well, here's it's like okay, if I'm going to read uh, part of the Bible in a as a poem or whatever, like when do I start taking it as actual history or whatever? And so it just made me be like, I don't know what to do with any of it, uh, mm-hmm. in a certain sense. And so, but I I also knew is like I believe that there's there's value to things like some sort of I don't know, and and I. The options that are open to that I see now are—I mean, there's so many different ways to look at the stuff and and have a fulfilling, um, meaningful way of viewing the world. But and, but you still would put them even today in three categories. Then n- no, I would say well, I would just I would say I would use the third way lightly as a uh, there's just an a way amount of, of third bre- ways breaking the the binary. Like there's not this mm-hmm. false binary, binary. that I. Yeah. So, um, anyway, so all of those things that I had cognitive dissonance about that, and a lot of deep intuitions I had about the world now feel like, um, they are aligning with Mm -hmm. the ways that I'm like the, the frame that I'm actually working through. And that's really, it feels great. It's super helpful. (laughs) Um, but it, it also, there's this consistent thread in a certain sense, because it feels like, oh man, I've always been walking this way and walking in this wall, walking in this wall, and then now a third way is opened mm-hmm. where that wall was, and so it feels like I'm I'm continuing in a similar direction internally in a lot of ways. But how'd yeah, you get, how'd you get on this path though? Because when I was 20 years old, I was having questions about God, but it was uh, is, is being gay wrong? Am I or or it definitely is, and I need to save them? Or you know, I'm asking these questions when you're when you're talking about. This it seems like you're already trying to figure out your personal uh, relationship with God in a in a deeper way as opposed to culturally how your faith is played out. Is that, is that right? Um, I'd say it's a, a bunch of different things going on. It, it's you know it was me uh, back then struggling with like I don't how do I look at the genocide in the scripture or the stuff that seems to not line up with what we understand of history, archaeology, uh, with just a bunch of different things, but I'm being told this, you have to look at the Bible this way. Right. And unless you look at it this way, there's really no value in it. And that's where like, uh, you know, people like Pete ends and have been super helpful in being like, look, it doesn't mean this has no value. It doesn't mean this tradition has no value. It just doesn't, it isn't what you thought it was, and it actually never has been. And mm-hmm. that's a very recent way to, to to look at it. So, I heard you talking to Dan, <coughs> excuse me, Dan Coke on his podcast about just your experience and your lived experience, and some of that stuff. Like you're saying, you had intuitions before you felt forced into a false dichotomy, but a lot of people don't wrestle with that at all. What can you pinpoint about you that you needed to figure it out for some reason? Most people just go along with whatever. Yeah. What's that motivation? Where does that come from? 
What's the need that you have to actually figure it out? I mean, there's probably a bunch of different lenses you can look at that through, but I'm just, I'm very curious and skeptical naturally. Um, do you guys talk Enneagram on your, your deal? We talk about how silly it is. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> that's, what I, that's, what I, that's what I figured, but I like it. Um, there's also a bunch of silly ways of looking at it, but uh, so let's not go there. Um, but I accept your fa- that you've done introspective work using the Enneagram, and I'm happy to hear what you have learned in doing so. <laughs> <laughs> I'll put it that way. Um, yeah, it's a tool. It's a tool. Um, but I think I, I have a natural uh, want to find out all the information to feel like I'm prepared to deal with reality. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of people don't have that. Uh, it's just, I mean, it, it's, it's whatever it is, it's innate, it's inborn. Does it feel survival related in that way? Like you need to be prepared for your environment? Yeah. Um, but I'm not always, you know, consciously thinking about that. It's just, I, I think there's an sure. internal drive for that, mm-hmm. that, I don't know if I can get any further under. It's just there. does that make does that mean like you feel like even like with your faith or with relationships that you it, it is inauthentic unless you have some real facts and data to go along with what you think about the situation. Like is that does it infiltrate? Yeah. Well, I would say that that is my natural bent, but I don't think that that's healthy uh, at a certain level, and it's I'm much more comfortable with uncertainty than I used to be. Mm-hmm. So the third way really encapsulates uncertainty when you get yes, out of that yes. false dichotomy. And I certainly had, now that you say it that way, I would say I've probably had two deconstructions too. The first one came when I was probably 12, 13, 14, sitting in church thinking, nobody believes this stuff. These people don't believe this that I'm sitting with. It was a liberal uh, Presbyterian church in the South that I grew up in. And I remember thinking, okay, but nobody likes this and everybody's pretending something. That's the feeling that I had, you know, mm-hmm. which... I would say also th- made me feel like, well, once I understand what I d- wouldn't have had words for at the time, materialism, that'll probably turn out to be true. I don't want it to be true, but it seems that this faith stuff's not really true. But on the other hand, I had a real strong knowledge and eventually a spiritual experience that made me convinced of something else, that there was more, it couldn't be reduced. And so now I was in this real, what I felt like a pressure point because I also have a hard time with a, a low threshold for cognitive dissonance. I'm, I'd rather fo- face it and try to figure it out than I would allow that feeling to continue. And so that was the time in my life when I said, well, I've got to figure this Christianity thing out. And I certainly sent out, set out on a mission for certainty. Yeah. And I knew what was fluffy and what was fruity and what people didn't believe. And as far as I'd seen in Christianity, there was no real good avenue until... I found Mark Driscoll because that was tough and it was strong and certainty was offered. And I thought, well, let's go down this path, you know? And I I guess I I remember thinking of it that way now, not that I would have said it at the time, but it was like, well, all these other versions of Christianity are so obviously goofy. This one at least is claiming that it, there's maybe answers there and smart people and tough people can get there or figure it out or something. And so it, it, uh, you know, for better or worse there, it sucked me in down that path. And I'm curious if that, uh, for you and Toby both, if you can pinpoint how, what was it that attracted you to get, to head down that reformed or Mars Hill type way? I, I mean, I was super anti-reform for a long time. Uh, partly because I had a kind of a 
straw man view of what it was. Uh, and I, so I, I really rejected what I thought was, Oh, it's, it's strictly deterministic about everything. Mm-hmm. And that, hardly any reform people actually function that way or, or really think that. Um, but I still, I still had issue with it. The reason that I ended up going there was it offered in contrast to the more just standard evangelical uh, view that I'd grown up with. Um, it offered a, a more robust version of uh, the steadiness of God's love. So it, how I had grown up, I always felt that that God's feeling toward me was very uh, wishy-washy and in, in that it was dependent upon, was I doing good or was I mm-hmm. doing yeah. bad? Yeah. And so that creates this kind of roller coaster of uh, weird underlying emotion. It, it, it's not great. <laughs> and so uh, when I heard certain people preach about this steadiness of God's love, that was really beautiful to me. Um, and I can actually, so I would view like I was stepping into reformed as a, a way of finding something I think more true about uh, the nature of God and reality. And I think that's something in a sense that I've held on to, even as I'm going into a different place, I just have dropped a lot of the baggage mm-hmm. of the reformed view. Um, but can either of y'all think I of like, I don't, what, I don't, the, what were the hooks that, that now looking back on it, uh, that enticed, the three of us down that path. Toby, what do you, what do you got there? It, what made, it, when, do you remember yeah, the, when you got into Mars Hill and what yeah, that was? I mean, well, one I was... I gave one, you a hook, man. Yeah. It was a big hook. <laughs> <laughs> well, mine's probably a little different. Mine was, I think it was like the greatest marketing a church could do. It, it was totally uh, masculine and it was the big uh, push always was tough and tender. And that's what everybody always wanted their dad to be like. They wanted a tough dad that could be really tender and loving. They want a strong, a strong man that can handle life and and do things as well as his emotions, which a lot of us, at least I didn't, my dad's a very emotional person, but most of it was red level. You know what I mean? Not not that he abused me, but he was just, he was quick to anger and our relationship. And so I thought marketing wise, it was great. And Mark Driscoll is a phenomenal pastor. But you didn't, like, that's not he, what you were thinking at the well, time. Wow, this well, is well mean, marketed. You mean preacher. Well, yes. Very good. Yeah, yeah exactly right. right. <laughs> Horrific pastor, phenomenal preacher. <laughs> but not, maybe not even preacher, speaker, but definitely, I mean, could command a crowd for 60 minutes and you and you enjoyed it. And it, I just thought, okay, they're doing great things. It's a fast-growing church. Uh, they must be on to something, and it seems right. And I might be you – know, also, we were getting ready to have our second kid, and it was going to be stability for me financially. Uh, I finally had like actual health care. My wife, you know, didn't have to work anymore. Uh, we were coming from my wife working at a church. And so I was like, well, I'll try this worship leader thing. I've never done it before, but damn, I'm in Emory. I can probably do this. And I think too, the, the idea of the, the tougher way of it, it, it felt like Mark Driscoll was saying things in an, un, in an uninhibited way, which made me think, even if it's wrong, I kind of respect that. And then now it's, you know, mm-hmm. it, it, that blew up in our faces. And now you have an uninhibited president that's uh, saying things in uninhibited ways that is not good. You know, you, 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 that's been taken way too far. I want authenticity, but I, what I, what he projected as authenticity was actually very veiled. So all that stuff really, but th- I just thought it was a really cool church. I mean, you, I got to go there and do the music that I wanted to. I didn't have to play Hillsong covers. 
or anything like that. It's like, hey, no, there, come, there come, was you know? uh, clearly a lot of things happening there that were yeah. not bad on the face at all. Like that. I mean, even just talking about like tough and tender. Like if you talk about that in a way that's not toxic, like that's right. That's great. Like it's the best, you know. Right? It, it, but and so there's things that are attracting you there that are that are good and. A lot of that was actually happening on the ground too. Uh, I, I mean, that's, and I think that's one of the things that was happening where it was hard to see certain things from the inside because you did see actual good things happening as much as there was a bunch of shit happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so attacks from the outside seemed like, man, you don't know what's really going on. Like, you don't, you're not on the ground here. You don't see XYZ. Right. And that ends up, uh, inoculating you to any criticism from the outside because you start to feel like it's um i don't you you circle the wagons and you're like no you don't you don't see what's happening here like and and so you you start to not be able to hear those outside voices in a a clear way so is there but is there anything that you could have done like what should what should you have recognized early like i mean at the very beginning is there was there was it avoidable the thing that i look back at is and uh, and I would say this even to before uh, more recent kind of deconstruction, reconstruction stuff was just, hey, like, so I think a lot of it was, I don't know if I talked about this last time I was on, but the, the good-natured, uh, what, what gets taken advantage of in that situation is the Christian virtue of forgiveness and grace. And so you learn to be like, Oh, well, yeah, he said that shitty thing, but I should, I should have grace. Right. And Mm -hmm. so that's a good impulse. I think on its own, everyone's going to make mistakes and yeah, you can call people out, but you also, I mean, that is a good corrective to uh, uh, the more toxic elements of a call out culture where you're like, okay, what they said there was bad and they should be held accountable, but it doesn't make them trash, right? They're right. not just thrown right. out. Um, the problem is, and I would say in, in the case of Mars Hill and me, I should have known, hey, okay, you can have grace for that guy and maybe you can learn a thing or two from them, but that's not someone that you should uh, have be your pastor, your elder. They're, mm-hmm. that's That's already... That should have been clear. And I think because people got used to giving him grace in various ways, uh, you then were like, well, I can give him grace and have him be my pastor in that sense. But it's uh, the stuff he was saying was, I I think even back then I should have been like, no, that's not, that's not how pastors should be. And then you got the sunken cost part of it where you've already invested so much and you know, this, that there's no other road or feels that way at the time. So you just have to keep eating it. And uh, I heard you talking to Dan too about how then during that time you would intellectually, you'd have to seek things out to prop up belief when things, other, you know, conflicting things or dissonant things would come up. And also the fact that, on the ground, literally all the most best and talented and wonderful people I ever knew were there, which yeah. is something people, it's just hard to explain what that's like because you had to go on and on about who the people were and why they were so great. But I mean, what Mark no, was able to collect, yeah. you know, it's, it's kind of like a no brainer when you understand who these people are and what their talents and gifts and how good they actually were 
trying to do the same type of good that I thought I was trying to do. And mm-hmm. then, you know, and then that's removed from, from the rest of it. That, that was, it's a pretty, it, you know, it feels like a, I don't have any problem saying it's, it feels like some pyramid scheme or cult. I mean, it isn't exactly those things, but it, but it reveals to me a big weakness of myself that I am prone to that type of thing. I can, I, I know about me that I can go down those paths now kind of a thing. Yeah. I think we I all mean, are. That's, yeah. That, I, I'd say we definitely, all, I mean, uh, psychologically it, it's not people who get pulled into a real like intense cults are not, are not dumb people. They're, they're mm-hmm. smart people. It's, it's, uh, you know, we're much more than just uh, a logical brain. You know, this is the way that we function socially and all the layers that that entails are very complicated. I do think there's just something seductive about, the power and I, I feel foolish when I look back. And so I was only there for a year, but I just, but towards about month nine, I just started getting this really uncomfortable feeling. And I would say it was in my spirit. It might be in my soul or it might just been in my brain. I don't know. But I just, I was like, this just doesn't feel right. And I, when I would try to uh, convey that message to even my uh, people at my local body, uh, our, 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 our church over in uh, West Seattle, it wasn't received that well. And you're right. There, then there becomes this thing where you're like, wait a minute, if you criticize something, then does this whole thing fall apart? So let's just don't criticize it. Or let's just, you know, everybody makes mistakes or let's defend it because you're right. The, you do see the good. Like I, I am a better man because of my time at Mars Hill. I believe that. I, I do believe that. Now there were there's some really screwed up things that happened there. Uh, and, not, and not even necessarily to me, but I feel like I was challenged as a, as a person and as a man to, to do better and think about things differently. So I, I do see value in it, but at the same time, there was these things. And so I, I feel culpable in the fact that I left feeling something bad and I didn't really do anything about it. Like I didn't, I mean, later, you know, we talked about it on the podcast, but is that like a, you know, a, a cowardly way? Am I a coward for not saying it then? And I, I just remember when I left, the way I left, it was bizarre. I, I told my pastor. Pretend. Yeah, I told my pastor. I, I tried to yeah. tell them, I was like, I just don't feel comfortable about, working here anymore and I'm, i got a real weird feeling <laughs> about stuff and that didn't go over so well so i was like oh uh matt and i are doing matt and toby and emory's starting to tour more i'm not gonna be able to work here anymore and that's how i got out and i felt like i kind of just uh, not necessarily lied that was true to an extent but i was trying to avoid and i couldn't put into words the sick feeling because also when you call somebody else out and say oh they're sick or they're messed up your own sickness and sins and stuff come to the forefront so i thought well who am i Mark Driscoll's doing tons of stuff, and, and even if it's weird or this whole little culture, I, I, I definitely felt like there was a bunch of copies of Mark Driscoll. There's like a lot of Mark Driscoll's running around at the different campuses and stuff like that. And I, I, I just feel like I wish I could have been more vocal and brave instead of leaving. I, I think I left for myself and for, especially for my family and Jess. My wife felt the same way. But I do think there's something with that where – when you're in it, like y'all were saying earlier, when you're in it, it's just hard to pull yourself out because everything can come up. Your own weaknesses and insecurities and sins, uh, y- your benefit of the doubt. Hey, yeah, whatever's wrong. Everybody has mistakes. And look at all the success. My God, we're going into California and Arizona. What, what's next? The world? I might be a part of one of the biggest churches in the history of the world. That's a good thing, right? And, and, and when you close your eyes at night, it's easier to sleep with those thoughts. Yeah, that's you just said a lot of things, so I don't know which yeah. ones to respond to. But oh, I, you don't I, have to respond I, to. I, okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, but I, I, uh, 
I was thinking though when you were saying that, I, I actually think, and I well, I still would differ a lot of it with it theologically at this point, but I think that that church could have self course corrected had Mark not been a narcissist, like, like, and I, I use that. I think he's technically a narcissist, like, uh, and it, it it creates certain things that are just going to be impossible, and it's going to reinforce certain structures. But if you look back and the culture hadn't been uh, separated so much to where no one could speak any anything to to Mark and have him change, and the EE whatever like could have basically like all of the what happened was it got so weird that everyone's like we got to do something, and then realized oh all of the ways that we could actually do something have been taken away slowly. Yeah. And now nothing can right. be done. It's like animal farm. some kind of revolution. Yeah. So, um, because there was all those rad people there, and everyone's got their own problems, whatever. But there was a spirit of trying to fix it with a lot of people, mm-hmm. and it just bottlenecked and could not move any further. And that's why people kept leaving. It was like yeah. they finally got to the point where they realized, oh. I can't do anything. I can't mm-hmm. I can't make this better. That's that's the thing about it that <clears throat> that is so hard to swallow because that echoes reality and individual relationships too. That's just the way that some things go and then people have to do the boundary thing or whatever. Like it, that that echoes in personal life too. But what I think is interesting the way you say that is that it could have course corrected, but I have a slightly different view of that. And that is Maybe it's good that it went all all the way off the cliff. Or oh, I'm I'm very happy that it went all the way off the cliff. I'm just saying, I, I think with a lot of the problems that I had there, and the people that were there, had had Mark not been like mm-hmm. uh, so both him being narcissist and just the the culture of a celebrity pastor that was already established, whatever, mm-hmm. like all those things, like had that not been there, or had I don't know, like. A lot of what ifs, but I'm just but saying. The, the point there, there, is, there was a, there was like I think there was enough good happening underneath that that it could have actually fixed itself in a lot of ways. But what I'm curious about, and maybe this is just me being suspicious or high minded or trying to be a part of something big again, but it it seems to me that all of those characteristics that we talk about when we describe Mars Hill are dynamics that exist in in every church to some degree. And for instance, narcissism and pastors, the correlation mm-hmm. is, is just so much higher than anybody's willing to talk about or admit. I'm not saying they're all him, but they're all something like him. Not, and not all, but lar- there lot, are many, yeah. many well, that share at- many of those attributes. And every yeah. church I've ever heard that I think is doing goofy stuff or has some really negative stuff or maybe it's a net negative, I know what everybody says about them. There's a lot of good. I hear that. You'll hear it forever. <laughs> I mean, you, you'll hear that every, everything you say about Mars Hill, it was so nuclear and pressurized that it blew up, but it's kind of the proto of what seems like ahead of the curve of what it's really like in organizations. It's the first situation with like a, a bullying. What do you mean? Scandal. It just was tough. Uh, so what? You know, and you're seeing a lot of the things there. And then even the pre-echo, pre, pre-tremors is what it feels like to me of Trump, of the control of the situation, so the PR spin of everything, of narcissism running things, like all those things, I see them in other stuff. And of course, because that's my experience, so I see it that way. But I don't think I see it wrongly that way. So 
you know, the, the question is to me, if I couldn't avoid it then, how do you talk to people about it now? And what does that really mean about, you know, what, what does that really mean about churches going forward and how to tell people to, I, I mean, I'm left with this question of, do I need to tell other people what I know or do they just sit back and figure it out themselves? Or who am I to say, I know, cause I'm the dumb one that was just wrong a few minutes ago. Right. Yeah. That's the, that's I, the real I mean, question I have. I, th- I, I don't know. I think any organization you're in, the more, the more kind of checks and balances you have, the better. I mean, uh, I, I don't know if there's any other real solution, but those, those checks and balances went away at, at Mars Hill. And when, I mean, that's, that's really when it became uh, unstoppable, I think. So, I, but so I, tell us what I worry about though, is the idea that maybe you can't start something like a successful mega church without a narcissist. Like you have to have the narcissist. Like, like when you were saying you thought maybe it could keep going, Maybe without Mardrisco, it really couldn't have kept going. Like maybe whatever that is. So well, no, I don't I, think it could yeah. have kept going in the form right. it was in. No, right, right. But I'm saying it never would have even existed without his narcissistic tendencies. Like I don't think it would have gotten that big. I don't think I would have ended up a worship leader there without those sick uh, problems that he had because that pushed past all the stuff that makes it more authentic, more real, that keeps you smaller, which I think is actually valuable. But most people, I don't know if they think is valuable. Do they? Don't, don't most people like me way rather be a part of the biggest church in the world than you know my local body of fifty people? And yeah, and even I the local that's... body of fifty people might have a narcissist running it. I don't know, but well, I don't why know. do you how, think the three of us who is... got attracted to it? We're like right. that too, Ugh. you know. That, I mean, that, it brings you into question here. You know, that's the point. <laughs> Wait. Yeah, it's, I think it's a very American view too of church. It's it's all the things you know. The bigger, the better, the whatever. All all those things baked into uh, you know uh, the American way of life that that get put in in how you view a church as well. So post Mars Hill, though, moving on for the next five years. I mean, you've been changing a ton, both on theology to social justice to communication to this broader. I mean, almost third way that we're talking about. Uh, let, let's just do that. Let's just do this a plain way. How do you define the gospel now? Um, so I, for a while, was really um, started to see this weird disconnect between what's called the gospel in the epistles and what is called the good news or the gospel in the gospels. Uh, and everyone talked about it as if it was one thing. Uh, hold on. Something's going on on my computer. Take oh, time. Fine. Okay. Um, and so I think there are ways of talking about them both that make sense, but I don't, I don't think they lay over onto each other as the same thing. And so I think to say, Hey, the gospel of Jesus or whatever is not clear enough because most times if you say that you're actually meaning the gospel of Paul and the way a specific way of interpreting Paul there. Uh, I'm more compelled by the, you know, the, the good news of the kingdom of heaven, the good news of the kingdom of God, or, you know, some people translate that, you know, whatever the Commonwealth or the kingdom or whatever it is, it doesn't, uh, the, the, 
we're in such an imperialistic environment that um, it it amplifies that king part of that, the authority part, um, where that's definitely not something that you see amplified in Jesus' actual ministry. Um, Mm -hmm. So I, but I find that stuff really compelling because it appears to be about the here and now, uh, about an inbreaking of a different way of living into uh, this current reality. And, and that, so that's when I think about the good news, like that's, that's the main thing that I see actually happening in Jesus ministry. And I, and I'm not saying that there can't be other ways of understanding that, but I think if you're missing that, you're missing quite a bit. If you can read the gospels and think that it's somehow just about some ethereal future, I, I, I think you've got to, try again and try to not read a bunch of the things that you've been told into it and try to try to experience it uh, anew. So it seems to be that you lean more heavily into what you call experience and my experience and per- lived experience even. And, and that seems to be something that from where we come from is a big no, no. I mean, it's, oh, yeah, you know, yeah. So how do you reconcile that? And, and I know how people react to you because of it, but how, how is that that you can make that claim that we should actually listen to our hearts and you just throw out truth? Go ahead, Dustin, throw it out. <laughs> listen um, to your yeah, heart so, and lead you astray, I guess. Yeah, in a lot of Christian circles, you get told not to listen to your heart or your experience, however you want to put that, because your heart is wicked and deceitful. And so you might feel like... Uh, you should love everyone or whatever, or you should try to understand this person. But really we know that that person's bad and X, Y, Z. I don't know. Um, I I think it's super dangerous to think that way because your experience is all you really have access to. Uh, and if you start to not, and it doesn't mean your experience is all you should trust. I think you should take your experience very seriously. Uh, but if you write it off, you become um, enslaved, I think, in a certain sense, to larger systems. And mm-hmm. um, when you take your experience seriously, it is the beginning of being able to take other people's experience seriously, which is, I think, the core of being able to uh, create a better uh, community and world together uh, by actually listening to other people and their experience and then taking that into account as you try to do good. So how do you take it then on the message boards and the Thrice Facebook group and everywhere else that you've just become some social justice warrior? And I mean, you're mixing this up with your music and it's in the Thrice pages and you keep going down, you know, talking about Trump and, you know, you've made what seems to be a radical shift to a lot of people that look to you in a certain way. How does, how's that experience of feeling the pushback on Twitter and those kinds of things for you? Um... I get it. I get it because I have felt like a totem or a mascot to certain people uh, as like a member of their their team, their tribe. And if I say something that makes it feel like, oh, he thinks that he can't be my, you know, my mascot, my whatever, like he's not on my team, that's that's a weird feeling for people. Uh, I mean, we're naturally social tribal uh, 
creatures. And I think we can harness that for the good, but it, it does mean we're going to have a visceral reaction when someone we thought was on our team or our tribe, it, it changes uh, how they view certain things, or at least we perceive that they've changed. Um, so I don't, uh, it's not super hard for me. It's hard for, it's been hard on my family. Some as people, um, are freaked out by things I might say. Um, so that's, and then treat my family weird, treat my wife weird. Uh, so that stuff sucks. Um, and has been pretty rough. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, moving that into a podcast and first of all, doing it publicly, you take people to task on Twitter, you push, you know, you have seems like a compulsion for authenticity and honesty and searching and curiosity. And for the carry the fire podcast, uh, we say whatever's true and beautiful. And what's the third one? Good, 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 yep. true and beautiful. So you have a strong compulsion about that, but again, it leads you to do it publicly. And so where do we, how do we really think about that? If we're, doing things publicly and changing our minds and being wrong and some of the stuff that we were doing before ooh, I mean seems like it was wrong not only yeah. wrong but harmful so yeah. how, well, how do we have confidence going forward uh, I I talk about this probably too often but there's a part there's a section in uh, Emerson's essay on self-reliance that I've been reading since I was I don't know probably 14 or something and have had a change in relationship to a lot of it, and I, I don't agree with all of it, but I there's parts that I think that are really helpful. Uh, and he talks about this idea of changing your mind. Uh, he says uh, uh, a foolish in, uh, foolish consistency is uh, the hobgoblin of little minds, um, and he's basically saying with, without being able to change your mind, there's no way to grow. There's nothing you can actually even do. Uh, and so he's like, don't be afraid. Like if, if you like, shout today what today thinks, it, and then even if everything you say tomorrow contradicts it. And it doesn't, I think that can sound to people like, well, you just fly by the seat of your pants. And I don't think that's what it's saying. It's just saying, don't be so afraid to admit you were wrong that you can't change. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so... I think that's actually a huge part of a bunch of the problems that we end up being in because we're afraid to change our minds. We're afraid to say we're wrong. And so we can't change and we get stuck and right. we get small. And uh, so for me, being public about the things that I think or the things that I'm uh, observing, I, I mean, you kind of start out talking about being a public persona, whatever. I, I just don't know. I feel like at a certain point, it's irresponsible of me to have found something I feel to be good and to not share it. Interesting. So with the podcast, I'm, you know, I'm trying to be curious about the world and expose myself and other people to a bunch of different ways of thinking about the good and true, the beautiful and building common ground there. And, uh, all of that is un undermining, uh, fundamentalist or intense based ways of thinking. And mm -hmm. 
I would say the more that that can be done, the better. And so for me to not try to do that is helpful. Uh, so now we're into that territory of though, where it's both, it's both the narcissism of, well, we need to write the next song and the next lyric and be on stage. And I guess my thoughts need to be public and I'll help people. And I know I'm good. I mean, I still hear that in what I'm saying and what you're saying. And Toby, how do you deal with that? Is that I, true? Well, I mean, is it you need to? Yeah. Everybody should, yeah. and it just I happens. Think the only way, I yeah, know. I think the only way you can really combat that is to uh, try and be as honest as you can and give everybody an out. Today, this is my thoughts today, and tomorrow it might be proven to be total bullshit. Like, you know, listen to Dustin Kentrew from Thrice, his podcast. Man, it's really awesome. But some of it might be total bullshit. And he might be totally wrong. Like that that's that's the answer there. Like, don't take everything we say. Like, even when you were quoting from the book you were reading, uh, you said you've been reading for a while, Emerson or whatever. Like you said, some of it's good and some of it's not. I think that's the way you kind of have to walk through this. Like some of the stuff that we talk about or will talk about, it they, for me, there's still unbelievable value from my experience at Mars Hill. So I, I overall I have to still say that there was real value, and I am glad to an extent that I went. Now, where I'm not glad is obviously how many people were hurt and how much it actually did hurt the gospel and what it proved about church and mega church, especially. All those things are still learn things that I learned, though. So even though though they people were hurt, now I'm learning. Wait a minute, maybe this mega church thing's weird. Maybe that's not good for people. I don't know. Maybe a pastor to get how else there. would you have learned it? Right, is right. What you're saying? Yeah, yeah. And so I don't. I don't think it's it's good to say. Well, I was way off. Yeah, this is what I was thinking when I was this age, and now I'm this age, and now when I'm 60, I probably might even sound different than I am today. So take everything I say with a grain of salt. That's an entire attitude, and I think that that's the point, is is having that attitude of, I might be wrong. I could be wrong. And it doesn't mean you don't have core convictions, right? and it doesn't mean you don't have a, a, a way that you see the world that makes sense to you. You have to. Everyone does. But, uh, and I quote this too much too, but Chesterton says, uh, it's not arrogance to believe that you're right. It's arrogance to be unable to imagine how you could have gone wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And because right. everyone thinks they're right. You have to think right. you're right. You have to. There's no, you don't, don't you have can't, a choice. No, you don't. Yeah. You can't think you're wrong, but, right. you can, right. but you can think I might be wrong. Yes. Um, right. <laughs> but, yeah. what, but what fundamentalism and anything uh, in that spectrum does is it makes you unable to entertain the thought that you could be wrong because your entire right everything is 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 wrapped up in in one way of interpreting everything so it'd be like need for certainty is a weakness just straight straight out it's just well that's a weakness your your anybody's need for certainty in any area that you'd not you can't think of it in probabilistic terms i don't know if i would say it's a weakness because it's it's actually a strength in a lot of ways, uh, depending on how you're looking at it. And I, it, I think it comes out of uh, our brains, you know, over time being wired to crave that for survival mm-hmm. reasons. But I would say, I think you can at least say it creates uh, unloving and harmful uh situations and tribalism that is no longer a, a something that we should foster in a in a uh, inclusive view of humanity. Yeah, it's like trying to just think in uncertain terms though is is harder, but it can be 
you know, more effective if you can do it. But it's it's uh it's like almost mathematical if you wanted to think about it. In that I know I'm wrong, but what I what I'm interested in is what is my error rate. I don't. I'm just taking this shot because it's the the plan says I should take a three pointer in this situation. I don't know if it'll go in or not, but I'm trying to stick to the playbook and make the best decisions with the most certainty that I have. Fully yeah. admitting what I don't know is kind of the posture, well, and to me, that's yeah. like an enlightened posture or something. Well, that's that all that Mark like Driscoll that needed. If somebody could have just gone, man, you're being full of shit right now. Hold on, yeah. dude. Whoa. I mean, this other stuff's kick ass, but hold on, this is really not good. Hold on, just just wait. Let's be accountable here. Then that would have that through that might have actually saved the church and made it one of the the best places you could possibly be. But without that accountability there, then there isn't any. I mean, it's just somebody telling you stuff, and then that's just power and control and and crafting a, a certain type of gospel and a certain type of church, other than a church that's free and open to to change and growth, all that. For sure. Justin, how do you take the word post-Christian? And I like to relate that to post-hardcore. Like, I love hardcore music. <laughs> Trying to play hardcore music, I'm going to take it and go from here to the, another level as I can piece it together. And I think a post-Christian is the same term. How do you... Uh, so that's how you would, that's what you would call yourself. Yeah. I love punk. So now I'm doing post punk. It was, it's like, <laughs> I think it was graduating from church. You know, it's like, these are the systems. There's the binaries. There's all the certainty that we're discussing. And I don't mean to sound like an asshole, but I think I am, have moved through that. And I thank it. Like, that's what Toby was saying. I needed that. I actually did need it. I was that, that was where I was at. It helped um, me. It was good. I'm trying to continue to grow, though, and I feel a strong limit. And so post-Christian, for instance, that not that the term's that important, but that's the mentality with which I proceed. I can see, I mean, I can see that in the, the musical metaphor. Uh, there's another term, I don't know if you've heard, anatheism. Tell me about it. Yeah, I heard it. So it, it, it's, I don't know a ton about it, but it's the idea of like returning to God after God, almost like it's, it's, uh, you're theists, then you're maybe some sort of atheist, and then you're an anatheist. Like it, it's 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 the reconstructive, mm-hmm. I think, lens almost where it's like, hey, I had all these thoughts about God, then I deconstructed them, and now I'm coming back to God, but uh, in, in a very different way, uh, or having a different framework, or I don't know. So I I kind of I feel like that's kind of a a helpful term. Uh, it's not necessarily I mean, it is post, but it's also current, you know. Um, so I, I like that. Um, I, I continue to call myself a Christian because I, I find it to be, I find Jesus to be compelling. I find the entire way of uh, that it deconstructs. Uh, tiers of life like it, it it's a great equalizer uh of people it's a, a bringing together of a common humanity um the way the way that grace and forgiveness cut against your intuitions you're like no i i need to hold that person accountable for the thing they did to me they need to pay and it's like nope that's not that's not really the way that yeah uh flourishing happens um all that stuff it, i mean it it's it's in me. It's it's the way that I, I see the world in all ways. Even though 
a lot of the specific trappings that I grew up with, I don't, I don't see anymore. I don't, I don't think are the right way of looking at it. Um, but that pisses a lot of people off because they're like, no, you have to believe in penal substitutionary atonement and you have to believe in eternal conscious torment. And the- both of which you've let go entirely. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, and that's that I, those two, it seemed to be the big, the big ones that really, um, uh, that and, and and inerrancy. Um, those three are the big ones that people are bothered by. And uh, interestingly enough, those those are all part of a. They're all they're all they reinforce each other. It's mm-hmm. kind of a it, this vicious thing that you can't get out of because if you you're going to go to hell and be tortured forever if you don't understand this specific way of looking at the cross and you understand that way of looking across by having this specific view of uh, how to interpret scripture. Which takes your experience out of it on purpose. Yeah, and if you don't look at it that way, then you're going to go to hell. And it's like this weird, they they just keep reinforcing each other. So it's really hard to address any of those issues um, without, I don't know. It's hard to get into it. The only way I think you can get into it is if people actually take seriously the cognitive dissonance they experience with their view of inerrancy and their experience of real life. Yeah, so I'm going to move forward and say that to go the 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 path forward for, for people like us, I suppose, is less and less certainty, which is harder yeah. and scarier, but it can't be to shy away from wrestling doing more and more wrestling or being public about it whatever liabilities that may come so um is that the way you see your podcast or do you actually feel more like you got some stuff figured out and you have certain messages you want to get across how do you think of it uh you know like what do you have it as an objective thing you want people to take stuff from it or is it just experimental to you the the real the only overarching thing is is that i want people to take from it is for it to undermine uh, one specific way of looking at everything and to be like, look at the way this person sees this thing. Look at the way this person sees this thing. Do you see value in that? Is there something there that, that surprises you, that brings you wonder, that brings you joy, that seems to make sense with your own experience? And uh, everyone is going to, everyone's going to hear every conversation differently. And that's kind of part of the point. Um, but it, other than other than that, uh, fostering that kind of uh, openness to others um, and openness to yourself, that I don't have an, an agenda. Um, so in that sense, I'm not really worried about it. I'm sure I'll say dumb things that I'll later be like, "Oh yeah, that was dumb." You said that, but <laughs> on the whole, I don't think I'll regret anything because all I'm doing is trying to open up conversation. Mm-hmm. It's similar to music. That's the only way I could say it to people is I've had a lot of dumb musical ideas too. What do you want me to say? I was trying. Yeah. You know? (laughs) Yeah. That's what I thought maybe would be a good idea. It turns out it was a stupid idea. You know? That's it's it's, it to me, do you think of it uh, podcasting even would you be able to put that into the space of calling it art in the same way? Or do you just sharply say you know, to me everything kind of feels the same. It's experimental. See if I can make something work and try it. Timing, audio, all that stuff. Yeah. Uh, I haven't thought about it in that sense, but um, yeah, and I don't really care to, so that's okay. 
<laughs> yeah, it's totally okay too. I'm just trying, just like I said, since we come from similar places, I'm trying to check my thinking yeah. as I go through it. But you know, it, if you make a musical mistake, it has less impacts than an intellectual one or a point made or or persuasion to a person. So I, I try, I'm trying to take that more seriously. But to me, they both feel like playing in the sandbox. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what feels like yeah. to me. Well, I think I look at it definitely as art, just because it. I do highly value an uncertainty now. I used to only value certainty, which certainty is death. You're certain that something's dead, death and taxes, right? But I I feel like with a podcast, anything can happen, and you could be proven wrong or or have a new idea floated out, and that's that's the fun, alive thing. There's an idea here, and somebody's saying something, and I don't know what I think about it, so I'm going to go think about it. Not just this is what it is. I don't I don't need a a, a preacher. That's not inherent to podcasting, but I'm glad that that's the approach you're taking to it. Yeah. yeah. I, well, podcasting is close in that space, though, because it seems to be it when it's speculative. So I'm not an expert on anything. I'm just a speculator. I like to bullshit. That's what this is. But that's the beginning of things that go farther. And so it's very high, you know, upstream in a way. Like I'm trying to put together sounds that maybe hadn't been put together before. I'm sure it'll come out goofy and wrong. I'm trying to put together thoughts here and be brave enough to say them, even if it's going to make me sound stupid. That And then that's the life-giving organic thing that people can then have their own reactions to. And maybe that moves things on down the chain yeah. kind of a thing. And that's yeah, what I hear you saying in your conversations, kind of. You want to let people take from it what what is magical, what is mysterious, what comes out, what's beautiful. Yeah, and it's the difference between an argument, a conversation, or a cooperative experiment in a, a competitive situation. And so I think if you're not looking at yourself as, uh, and the people you're talking to as your competitors, then there's something really beautiful that can come out of it. And you can actually mm-hmm. both change from it. But if you go in thinking that they're your competitor, then you have the objective of winning, you know, that's right. And a lot of the agenda driven podcasts and personalities and personas, they're clearly optimized for an agenda. And I don't find that to be, resonant with what I'm trying to do. So it it may seem the same, but I think of it as way more exploratory and free. And I've listened to episode one of your podcast and I think it's terrific. And I I do think it really is. uh, I think what I'm taking from it is looking for things that are good, true, and beautiful. Really, they're just inspiring. And the best part about it is you're not controlling the outputs or what people take. It's not really that way. And so it it is leaning more into a freedom kind of a thing. So I'm hoping everybody will enjoy your podcast and it'll go good. It's out now. It just came out a few days ago. So it's Carry the Fire podcast. What else do you want to say about that? Or is there anything else you want to ask people to do or point to? But I'm I'm all down to support you and whatever else. Thrice, you got Thrice stuff to talk about? Um, yeah, Thrice stuff. We're starting to get get our studio in order. We finally we finally have like our own space, like real space for the first time ever. That's like everything's there. Our storage is there. Our we're gonna be able to record there. It's it, we can actually sit down there. I don't know. We had it. We had a, like a little garage one at one point. It was there was no space to do anything but stand in front of your mm. amp and and whatever. It was closet kind of control room and so we we finally built out like this little mini industrial space and it's great so we just threw everything in there and it was a giant mess we're in the process of actually making it uh studio worthy right now um but that's gonna be fun we'll probably track the next record there and probably start uh getting more serious about writing for it soon um podcast yeah carry the fire um I'm super excited about it. It's- Who else you have coming up, guest-wise and stuff that we can tell people about? 
so uh, I don't know the order which all these are going to come out, but I've been trying to record some so we're not by the seat of our pants every week, uh, and I'm going on tour in Europe. So, But uh, Samir Gadia from um, Young the Giant, uh, Dr. James P. Kars, who wrote a really cool book called Finite and Infinite Games. You, you two should check that out. It's really cool. Um, it's short and uh, kind of uh, mind-blowy. Um, Brian McDonald, who is like a story expert, um, Brian, I'm in the same building as Brian right now. He's like 20 feet from me. Oh, you're in the... Yeah. Really? I have an office here at the agency, but I know Brian. He's just like down the hall. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, yeah, I just talked to him yesterday or the day before. Um, who else? Uh, I've got... Um, I don't know. The other people lined up. Janelle uh, Shane, who has a uh, a blog called AI Weirdness, and it's it's super funny, just weird stuff about AI. And she has a book coming out. Uh, I'll be talking to her about it's the books. <laughs> the book's called uh, "You Look Like a Thing and I Love You," and it's uh, it's like an AI generated uh, pickup line. Mm-hmm. That's like one of. But so her blog is all sorts of weird stuff that that you try to train AI to do and how how bad it messes it up. Um, that sounds good. So excited to talk to her. Um, yeah, um, Gerard Way from My Chemical Romance. Uh, that'll be that was a good good convo. Excellent. Well, you know, point everybody to it. It's on iTunes now. I guess what I would say is it's. I'm trying to really pull from a wide variety of uh, people and experiences and jobs and backgrounds and so different you know upbringings, religious, yep. non-religious. Uh, different uh, jobs like don't want to have scientists and philosophers and all sorts of stuff. So I, I'm trying to make sure that that's staying broad uh, though. I probably probably have more musicians than anyone else, but I will try to keep that to by a very small margin just because mm-hmm. I have more connections there right now, but we'll see. Well, it sounds good. We're looking forward to hearing more episodes and everybody can go check it out. But thank you for being with us today, Dustin. Yeah, thanks, thank you, dude. gentlemen. Cheers. All right, DK. That's what I call him now, Matt. That's how close. Donkey Kong? Uh, no, D- Dustin Kentrew is DK. Okay. The other have, DK. Yeah. The other DK, because that's how mm-hmm. close we are now. After hearing about his podcast <laughs> and, and uh, his faith journey, he, I'm glad we didn't say faith journey. That People that's don't say a, that much anymore, do they? That was a big no. one for a while. Just I, overused, but maybe it's a, I mean, that's a, it like makes a, sense, but it's, it's overused. T- yes, you're right. Overused is a better way to, it is what calls that problem there. Yeah. Most terms are that way again with the terms, but th- there's a lot of good terms and then they become cliche, but they came cliche because they were very good and useful and right until they were like, oh my gosh, I can't take this anymore. And it, they come in waves and things get overdone and then they get blown out. And you had to be fight. You just had to be fighting for the meaning of words. But then you have all these pitfalls. I don't want to say faith journey anymore. Right. But good concept. I remember the one that killed me for so long was unpack. We're going to unpack this today, and I was just like, God, if another pastor I hear them say unpack, I am denouncing Christ. <laughs> it's traumatizing. <laughs> isn't it? I'm gonna go the yeah. That's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna go the way of Dustin Kentry. Isn't that what he said during the interview? He doesn't believe in Christ anymore, right? Not I, not even close. I right? had to step out for one second. It was something like that. 
I'm not yeah, exactly. I, I, I might have misunderstood. Reba, did, but I, that rewind was the, the tape, Reba. He does, or I, I think he said no yeah, to Christ. Confirmed. But yeah. I could be I, wrong. Again, again, I was playing video games on my phone during most of the interview. I wasn't paying any attention, but I think I caught something like that. Oh, that Apple Arcade will get you. Even it's, in, oh, even in a Kentru in- interview, I that fucking a- Apple Arcade piece of shit is just steals all your time. I hadn't listened to one thing a guest or you have said since <laughs> Apple Arcade came out. You can't, look, you can't even oh. tell I'm on it. I'm on it right now. Man. I'm doing the Lego game right now. Oh, well, hang on a sec. Okay, I, I'm getting pretty good at multitasking, but not really. I'm just it's brilliant. It's brilliant. Apple, you bastards. <laughs> All right, we got to get out of here. We'll see y'all later.